0: The game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Can't wait.
1: You're listening to the official Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production. Welcome inside the Jets' official podcast. Ethan Greenberg and Eric Allen here bringing you the Jets and Dolphins game preview, the Friday podcast here, whereas we got two other ones. Make sure to subscribe on your phone on the podcast app. You can check us out on NewYorkJets.com. You can check us out on SoundCloud. We got you covered. But right now, Jets-Dolphins, Sunday, 1 o'clock, the home opener, the Jets finally playing in front of the green and white crowd at MetLife Stadium after two weeks on the road. So, EA, first off, what are some of the things that this Jets team is going to need to do that they did in Oakland and transition that success against the Dolphins on Sunday? D-
2: Greens, this is the eighth time the Jets and Dolphins have played in a green and white home opener, uh, d- Longtime division rivals and, you know, the fan base doesn't have much love for the fish as Miami comes up here after a season-opening win out in L.A. over the Chargers. That's a team that is, continues to find ways to win. That's mm-hmm. what we saw from them in 2016. But you're asking me what they have to build on from last week in Oakland? I think they got to finish. You know, we look at the first two games. Obviously, the Jets have started 0-2. and two. But they've been in those ball games late. 14-12 at the end of the third quarter in Buffalo. 21-13 last week. Late third quarter. Four minutes left in the black hole. A place where nobody gave them a chance. No moral victories, but that's a 21-13 ball game. And if you had told me that was the situation going in, it's a one-possession game late in the third in Oakland, I would have said, sign me up for that. With all that being said... I like where the offense is starting to go, and I think they're taking a lot of steps forward. We saw them say, hey, we got to get the run game going. They got the run game going a little bit last week. Interesting, John Morton using the three-back rotation as Eli McGuire got some work. We're seeing Jermaine Curse uh, and Josh McCown hook up quite a bunch here early in the season, and then Austin Safarian Jenkins was on his way back as well. But defensively, I think you got to limit the big plays. You can't have so many big plays, and the tackling has to be better. Every week in the National Football League, it seems like there is a star running back you're playing against. And this week, no different greens. Jets faced LaShawn McCoy. than it was Marshawn Lynch. Now it's Jaye, a guy who's a budding star in the National Football League. So defensively, the Jets have to do a better job against the run every play every single play. Last week, I thought, again, small steps because 25 carries, 3.4 yards a rush versus two explosion carries for 95 yards and two touchdowns. You can't have those in the National Football League if you expect to win.
1: You mentioned Jay Ajayi. Now, last year, he was the fifth leading rusher in the NFL, and he gets a heavy workload, and he's someone that prides himself on his strength, and he said, I remember this from last year, in a press conference, he said that I'm my best in the fourth quarter when the defense starts to wear down. That's what really excites him. So it'll be interesting to see in week one for the Dolphins. Remember, the Dolphins didn't play week one of the NFL yeah. because of Hurricane Irma. So their bye week, in effect, was their was the NFL opening week in week one. So they're playing 16 straight weeks of football.
2: Yeah, and our thoughts are to all the people down in South Florida who were impacted Absolutely. by the hurricane because I know there's some Dolphins fans trying to get some uh, football in. Uh, this week, as uh, they recover and, and to take yeah. their
1: mind off, yeah, of, yeah, off of the
2: disasters. yeah. So, yeah, so maybe sure. some some folks are listening to the Jets official podcast. So uh, I hope everybody is uh,
1: doing well, uh, doing as well as they can down and there. Last week, in the and the Dolphins season opener in LA against the Chargers, squeaked out a nineteen seventeen win. But Ajay had twenty eight carries for a buck twenty two on the ground. Now, that's not a great average. That's, you know, I think about three and a half, but 28 carries is a lot.
2: That means you're controlling the football. If you have 28 attempts, that means you're controlling the ball, and that's keeping your defense off the field.
1: All right, let's go down to Southern Florida and bring in John Congemi of Dolphins.com. Now, John, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Of course, hope everyone, including yourself, is doing well after Hurricane Irma down there. But, you know, let's talk some Jets-Dolphins football, because Sunday, of course, these two teams meet for the first time in the 2017 regular season. And first off, I think a lot of people from our perspective have questions regarding Jay Cutler, because he was a late acquisition to the team with Ryan Tannehill going down in practice. And through one game and through preseason, and what, what have you seen from Jay Cutler, who's been reunited with Adam Gase?
0: Well, you know, I, I guess the first thing that jumped out to me was how well he was able to adapt to the system. I mean, when Jay got in the building, the next day he was on the practice field running no huddle. And that just doesn't happen if you don't have familiarity with the system and, and the terminology and the, the play-calling mechanisms and the vast experience he's had with Adam Gase when he was at Chicago. So it couldn't have been a, uh, a better fit for the Miami Dolphins to have Jay Cutler on the street uh, being available and still wanting to play number one, and then being able to jump right in and take over the reins of a football team that feels like they're ready to win and they need consistency from the quarterback position. So I I thought it was, that was the thing that caught me uh, on day one and it continued to progress in day two and day three and you, you've seen that now in, in week one for the Dolphins being able to come true on the field where he was able to protect the football. They went no huddle. They used tempo. They spread the football around. Although Jarvis Landry caught the majority of the passes, uh, they changed up a little bit in the second half. And I think it was they were able to get to other things in the playbook because of Cutler's familiarity and now being in the system this system for about three and a half, four weeks.
2: John, sticking to the offensive side of the ball with the Dolphins, how do you approach defending this team? Because you mentioned Landry, 13 catches. That jumps off the page to me. And then Ajayi, who got a boatload of carries last week against the Chargers. With that being said, you would figure those guys are going to be featured in each and every game plan. So like a team like the Jets, you just say, hey, listen, they're going to get the ball. You have to contain them because it's going to happen because they're going to rely on those guys and then take those shots down the field with Stills and Devontae Parker.
0: Yeah, I think you have to go in if you're, if you're the Jets, in my opinion. You know that Jarvis Landry is going to be a focal point for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, what do you want to do? And, and maybe you can live with him catching six-yard passes and he has a – a good knack for breaking tackles but if you can come up and tackle him you know maybe you limit the explosive plays and you give that to Landry and you, and you kinda make sure that Stills and, and Devontae Parker don't beat you deep and with the running attack of Jay Ajayi, he's going to get his carries as well so the, the one thing I, I would say looking at the Dolphins you're going to you're going to get those playmakers involved whether those Five and 10-yard pass plays turned into 20-yard plays is really on the ability of the Jets to come up and tackle. Whether Jay Ajayi, who I think last season had an extremely uh, large amount of yards after first contact, and he did it again against the Chargers, whether the Jets' defense can come up and rally around the football or is Jay going to break a couple of arm tackles and make a 5-yard run into a 25-yard run? Those are the things that I believe that keep the Dolphins' offense on the field and opposing defenses scratching their heads saying, we've got guys in the right position, but we've got to come up and make plays when they're afforded to us. And that means tackling people, getting off the field on third down, doing the things that the normal mechanics of a defense would allow you to do.
2: Yeah, I'm going to turn it over to Greens uh, here in a second. But to me, that's the key point in this matchup is that the Jets, who have not been good at tackling so far through two weeks, and Todd Bowles said those mistakes are correctable, well, they're going to have to do it Sunday because E and Landry can kill you with the yards after contact.
1: All right, so... Yeah, I
0: think that's, that, that's definitely, you know, that will hold true, you know, the remainder of the season if the Dolphins have success.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, so, John, let's, defensively speaking, when you think of the defense, the Dolphins' defense, that is, you think of Indomitian Sue down there in the middle, and you think of Cameron Wake, who never seems to get old, even though the number keeps going up. But from a secondary perspective, you know, when, when you look at the box score from the Dolphins-Chargers matchup of, week, of a week ago, you see that Phillip Rivers threw for over 300 yards. So what is the state of the Dolphins' secondary
0: well, I think right now they they want to obviously be able to tighten up coverage. I think listening to Matt Burke today when they, uh he met with the local South Florida media and, and talking and listening to him, that's one of the things they want to be able to correct. They felt like in the secondary there was way too much cushion uh given on, you know, simplistic 10-yard speed outs or uh, a checkdown where you you kind of give the linebackers have too much cushion or You don't run with coverage and you lose leverage and a guy catches a football where all he has to do is turn and run and he's got 10 yards of green grass in front of him. So I think that's the thing that Dolphins, from their perspective defensively, want to improve on. They want to tighten up coverage. They want to close the distance between where the receiver is and and the positioning of the defensive back or the linebacker. Those things need to improve. I, I think you can see that on film. You can watch it. When you were watching Philip Rivers dissect the Dolphins secondary, he was getting rid of the football with quickness. I mean, I, I think the average time was maybe 2.8 seconds, where he was able to catch, look, read it, and throw it. So Cam Wake, Adamican and Sue Andre Branch, uh, you know, guys like that, William Hayes, they didn't have a chance to really get Philip Rivers off his rhythm because the ball was gone. So I think that that really dictated time and space in the back end of the Dolphins defense
2: as well we're speaking to John Congemi Dolphins analyst on the Jets preview podcast on official Jets podcast network John what do you make of the Dolphins run defense obviously last season last in the NFL in terms of yards per carry at almost five yards a pop but in week one at least we just mentioned the secondary Uh, You know, the other part of that equation was Anthony Lynn, the Chargers head coach, said, I didn't like what was happening early when we tried to run because Dominican Suh was being so disruptive as a five-time pro bowler can be at times, and they just completely went away from the run. So do you think this is an approved run defense here in 2017?
0: I think there's still, you know, a question mark out there. There's no doubt that the Miami Dolphins did a better job at the line of scrimmage against the Chargers. They they did a terrific job, and Adamic and Sue was in the backfield, I think, probably three or four times in the first couple series, just shoving guards in the backfield and finding the ball carrier. I think it was Gordon and getting him to the ground. So they they definitely improved in that area, and there was nowhere to go but up. You know, it was horrible last season what the Dolphins did against the run. They couldn't stop anyone, and they gave offenses a two-way go, whichever, you know, pick your poison. You want to run it, play action. Everything was there because of the run. I think the Chargers ran into problems and they became one-dimensional. I think they had one big run in the in the day of over 25 yards, but that was it. You know, it was more Phillip Rivers catching and throwing. So I do think, guys, the Dolphins defense has improved. Uh, a fifth-round draft choice, Davin Gachau, at defensive tackle has been very consistent. A guy maybe the Dolphins were expecting to play 12 to 15 snaps per game. I, I think that is going to go north uh, into the, at least the 20s or 30s as the season moves along. But you know the the fins up front, the Dombek and has to be dominant. Cam Wake has to force pressure from the edge, and I think that helps out the 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 line backing core that is in a bit in flux uh, with you know the absence and the suspension of Lawrence Timmons. So. There's a lot of things that have to improve and keep improving on that side of the football, but for the first game for the Dolphins, was any indication, they've spent some time against you know, offensive runs and, and doing some things and, and holding true to where they're supposed to be defensively, and it came, came true in week one for them.
2: I think the Jets' offense uh, showed a lot of balance against the Raiders. They definitely took a big step in improvement from week one to week two, averaging five yards per carry on the ground. Josh McCown has been effective passing the ball. He gets a weapon back in Austin and Jenkins this week. So an interesting matchup when the Jets offense is on the field against the Dolphins defense. Let's talk about the resourcefulness of the Dolphins and that belief right now that's happening under Adam Gase. It seems like this team last year was in a lot of fourth quarter games. They found a way to win. And then here on Sunday, THEY START THE SEASON THAT WAY. WHAT CAN BE SAID FOR THAT, uh, that, uh, THAT WHAT Gase IS BUILDING RIGHT NOW IN TERMS OF CULTURE AND BELIEF THAT THESE GUYS THINK THEY'RE GOING TO WIN IN A CLOSE GAME?
0: ADAM Gaze has, HAS BUILT a, a MINDSET FOR THIS TEAM THAT THEY BELIEVE THEY'RE GOING TO WALK OUT AND WIN EVERY WEEK. THEY, w- they FEEL LIKE THEY'RE GOING TO WALK OUT AND WIN EVERY PRACTICE, THEY'RE GOING TO WALK OUT AND WIN EVERY PRESS CONFERENCE, YOU KNOW, EVERYTHING has changed it seems like since his arrival and it filters down guys to the coaching staff you know to the training staff to the equipment i mean it's it's not a cockiness it's just a belief about what the work we're putting in is going to lead us to victory and that starts at practice it starts at film study it starts off the field guys are doing the right things and if not you know they're not going to be around i mean he basically has two rules on this football team. Show up on time and play as hard as you can. Hmm. And they're not that difficult to follow. And I think the leaders of this team, when you talk about Adamic and Seuss and Cam Wake and Mike Pouncey and, and guys like that, Mike Thomas, they they really have taken the lead in the locker room and, and spread that belief. So I think it it almost feels it, it feels for me like a college team, hmm. to be honest with you. It feels like that that excitement that exuberance that you would have uh i would think pro guys would probably be a little bit happier because you're getting a paycheck at the end of the the day (laughs) but but, um you know i just it it has that feel guys it has that feel of there's just an ultimate belief that the dolphins have been in really close games over the last year in one game and in the majority of those situations they've been able to find a way to win whether it's by those guys making plays or forcing mistakes on other teams or just being, you know, in fortunate situations where teams miss a kick. You, you, things have to happen for that chain of events to occur and they believe that through the way that they're working and the way that their mindset is, they're helping those things along.
1: Someone that I am that I want to touch on is Devontae Parker in that he's someone that was a first-round pick a couple of years ago, uh, always been kind of in the shadow as the guy that has the potential, has the frame, the talent to be a dominant receiver, last week against the Chargers, you saw that one tremendous catch where he plucked the ball over a Chargers defender. So is do you think that he's finally taken that step to become the guy that the Dolphins drafted a couple of years ago?
0: He's pretty darn close. Hmm. The improvement Devontae Parker made in the offseason was extraordinary. He looked like a different person during OTAs, during minicamp, he was, he was stronger. He was finally healthy, number one. I think that's the, the major con- contributor to why he's going to have success this season. But I also think the other thing was he started taking care of his body off the field. I think he was getting more rest. He was eating right. He was doing things off the field that you have to do when you're a professional to set yourself apart. Um, and he did those things. And when he came back, he was able to run full speed, not just, you know, half the time, every play. And it made him a better player. And I do believe going up against Xavier Howard every day, two young guys trying to battle, trying to find their way through uh, how good they can be in the National Football League, improved both guys. But Devontae Parker, I would say, number one, he took care of his body. And number two, his body is now 100% allowing him to make – those
2: types of catches. John Congemi, you can find him on Twitter, he's a Dolphins analyst, you can watch him on MiamiDolphins.com. You also can watch him on ESPN because you cover a little college football as well. Last week you were in Nashville, Tennessee where the Vanderbilt Commodores pulled off an upset over Kansas State. So a bonus question as we get you out of here, John. Does Vanderbilt keep it close Saturday against the Alabama Crimson Tide?
1: They're
0: fighting Commodores. I don't know, guys.
1: <laughs> um, they've
0: got a pretty good football team. And I, I do believe that the athletes at Vanderbilt will surprise you. They, they have talent, especially at wide receiver. They have a good running back, uh, a very good quarterback in Shermer. But Alabama's got so much talent. I don't even know what the spread is, but I would I would – Venture to say Alabama is going to be in for a football game for the first quarter, and then and then kind of take that one
2: over. <laughs> John, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you up here on Sunday.
0: Hey, thanks guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, good
2: luck with the rest of the year. All right, Greens, great speaking to John Kinjemi who obviously covers the Dolphins and then does a little college football. I'd love to see Vanderbilt pull off the upset. You know, mm-hmm. I like. The upsets college in football college guy. football, two you know?
1: For, you've gone two for two in your upset picks the past two weeks. Very mm, impressive. Yeah, I
2: yeah. have. So we got to look at the slate later. But uh, John Kajemi, a lot of great information there. What I take away from what he just said was this is a team that has a lot of belief. They think every time they walk on the field under Adam Gase, they're going to come away with the victory.
1: I thought that was a tremendous point. He said that it felt like a college team even though the players are getting paid because they're in the NFL. They're a bunch of professionals. And you can kind of tell that the Dolphins have that swag to them, that they truly do believe that they're going to win every game. But something that I was intrigued about and I asked him about it, Congemi, is about Devontae Parker because Mm. clearly he's a talented receiver who has the frame and the build to be dominant and he just hasn't reached that point yet. So I'm very curious to see On Sunday, let's say hypothetically the Jets shut down Ajay because he's listed on the injury report, but Congemi says he's probably going to play. He'll play. He'll play. Either way, maybe a little banged up, whatever it is. Let's say hypothetically the Jets shut down Ajay. Is is Jake Cutler ready to sling the rock around to try to beat the the Jets' defense through the air? Uh, And furthermore, (laughs) do they have the talent in the receiving core to do that? Obviously, Kenny Stills is a big play threat. He's a, he's a vertical guy, but so far through two weeks of the season, the Jets' secondary has not really let up any big passing plays. It's more so been on the ground.
2: You're right. They haven't let the ball go over their heads. Michael Crabtree got on zone a couple times last week. Um, but, yeah, the Jets have kept the pass in front of them. Uh, the one thing that Congemi did say is that you have to tackle Jarvis Landry. He excels in yards after the catch. It's like having a a E basically as a receiver. No, I'm not saying he's a running back. My thing is he's going to take short passes and then he's going to break tackles. If you don't remain sound in your fundamentals, you mentioned the passing game. Jay Cutler, he's really familiar with Adam Gase. Knows the system. Congemi said he was running no huddle the day after, K- after having lunch. So, yes, they got the deep play targets, and then they also have the guys in the Ajayi and Landry where they control the ball. But, yes, the Jets have to be cognizant on the outside and not letting the ball go over their heads. I've been impressed with the rookie safeties. I know it feels like, are you forcing it? Do we have to talk about them every week? Well, listen, when they make plays – you should be talking about, guys. And that play by the goal line that Jamal Adams... The Ad- second in, yeah, yeah, this that play's Jam- been everywhere. That Jamal Adams made was just shows you his determination, his hustle, his athletic ability, his passion for the game. He hurdles over a guy. The play is all the way on the other side of the field. A couple missed tackles in there, and he comes down and takes Beast Mode down. So... You know, By you, himself. Yes, you have to love what you see from these guys. And again, each week for them, it's a new challenge. And for Miami, it's, uh, you know, I said this in week one with the Bills, is that how will Todd Bowles deploy his safeties this week again because Ja'e obviously is a weapon, but Cutler can sling it now. You know, so it, it, it's going to be interesting, the formations and personnel groupings that the Dolphins use. Conversely, on the other side, what Congemi said, hey, you know, the Dolphins got to prove that they are an approved run defense. And you mentioned maybe some potential holes in the secondary. I think this is a good defense. It's not a great defense. They have some great players, namely
1: and Suh. And you know both teams are going to be juiced up because this is an AFC East rival when you look at it on on its face.
2: All right, let's bring in our weekly contributor here on the Jets Preview Podcast, Chad Pennington. Chad, Christopher Johnson, the Jets CEO and chairman, addressed the media here for the first time since taking over for his older brother, and he said, one of my my roles here is to get into the fan base. That's definitely one of my priorities this year. Starting now, especially with this home game, this first home game, obviously referencing uh, the Jets battle with the Dolphins on Sunday. I can't say what the perception is exactly. What I hope is that this team, this is a team on the rise. Your thoughts?
3: Well, I think um, your first interview, you, you must be positive. And obviously he was. Um, and I think for him, his approach does need to be at the fan base. Um, because I would think it would be safe to say that from a football standpoint that would not be his strong point. And so uh, being able to lend his advice and expertise and personality to the fan base to keep the fan base engaged is uh, obviously from a business standpoint something that's important. And uh, in any organization, you've got to be able to delegate um, responsibilities and work with strengths that you have and manage your weaknesses and let the football people take care of the football and let the business side take care of the business side and work in unity together uh, for one common purpose and one common goal and that's trying to put a winning product out there.
2: He said he wasn't a patient man. He wants to win every game, CP. And he also said, listen, there are going to be growing pains here. We're playing with a lot of young players, wants to develop through the draft and developing players who are already here, um, but his expectation is this team is going to get better and better and better. If you're a fan right now, what are you thinking?
3: Well, first of all, I think that um, you better have patience in this business. Um, A lack of patience uh, does not lend itself to building the program. And so um, even though you may not be a patient man, you have to exercise patience, especially with how... Uh, The Jets team has been built, and and the the goals ahead of it, uh, I think that's number one. I think number two, you have to be able to assess improvement without looking at the win-loss column. Right. And you've got to be able to look at individual improvement, look at improvement on both sides of the ball, and then look at improvement as a team and how you're playing. And the number one goal is that even when you are losing, if your players are still playing hard for its coach, and your coaches are still coaching hard, and everybody's moving in the same direction that's a positive um, and that's the first step toward building the culture uh, that you want and so you know I don't expect coach Bowles and his staff nor his players to give anything but their best and um, but it does require patience um, because it's obvious that uh, you know what has happened over the last year or so um, with ac- acquisitions and deacquisitions and things like that that Uh, there has to be some patience uh, involved
1: in this process. Something that Christopher Johnson mentioned yesterday is that his goal as of now, his first goal, is to earn the fans' trust. And you playing in front of the green and white faithful for so long, just from your perspective, what kind of advice would you share with Christopher Johnson?
3: Well, I think first and foremost, you have to focus on the process and the plan you have. Um, You can't. Ride the emotional roller coaster of winning and losing in the NFL. Uh, as fans, we're going to ride that emotional roller coaster. We're going to be high when the team wins. We're going to be low when the team loses. And the last people that can do that are the people within the building in Form Park. That can't happen uh, because uh, if you do that, you just don't provide any consistency when you do that. And you've got to understand and see the long, uh, the longer goals and the bigger perspective. And so that, that's important.
2: You'll like this line, he said that, hey, listen, I'd like to return this team to greatness. And he said that, if we get to the Super Bowl, I'll leave two tickets for my older brother at will call What do you think about that one? <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, uh, that one, uh, considering where um, uh, Woody Johnson is living right now, he probably will need to leave a couple tickets. <laughs> <So, laughs> unless there's going to be a Super Bowl played in, in London anytime soon. But um you know, I think uh, I think you know he has shown that uh, he does have a sense of humor and he can keep it on the light side even when you're facing some challenges, which is good, and keep it mixed up and and also being able to remain positive. And the great thing about the NFL is it's not like a lot of the other professional sport leagues where um, Super Bowl champions are built over a ten-year period. I mean, a lot of times you can do that pretty quickly and and have a super bowl contending team relatively quickly Um, and but now as far as consistency and sustainability and longevity now that takes certain that takes time so uh... there's good and bad that.
2: yeah i was very impressed with him and uh... as something that you are always said over the years you gotta have a plan you gotta stick to the plan and and i think that's what the jets want to do here and greens wants to turn it ahead <laughs> to actually on the field now
1: so Chad obviously the Jets get a familiar face in Austin Safarian Jenkins back in week three after serving a two-game suspension just what kind of impact do you think he'll have on this offense early
3: well I think that remains to be seen I think um, the offense has incorporated tight in especially more than what we have been seeing over the last couple of years and so um Uh, We hope that his presence uh, will make a difference. Um, But at the same time, the West Coast system, it's about spreading the ball around. And with a veteran quarterback, he's going to uh, pick the guy that's open and go with those open receivers and be an equal opportunity quarterback. So uh, you do hope that uh, being able to add another veteran player back into the mix provides a little bit more stability, a little bit more consistency. Um, and maybe able to even give you a couple of different uh, personnel packages and a couple of different wrinkles uh, now with an extra tight end. So we did see some wrinkles last Sunday. You know, with two and three extra linemen in the game and right. things like that. And I thought Coach Morton was very creative in trying to spread the ball around, get the ball to his playmakers. Um, you know, for the most part, the offense was relatively. Uh, they had a consistent performance. It wasn't necessarily a winning performance, but there were some positive things that were happening on the field with some drives and people being involved in the game and, and uh, making plays for the
2: team. I'm glad you mentioned John Morton. I thought he had an excellent game, uh, calling that ball game in Oakland against the team that he started with. He said that he wouldn't be here in this position had it not been for a guy like Al Davis. Obviously, he got the start to his NFL coaching career under John Gruden, learning that West Coast system. What specifically jumped out at you offensively? You mentioned those jumbo packages because the Jets said, Chad, last week, we are gonna run the football. It doesn't matter how many people are, are in the box, we're gonna get it done. And in turn, they averaged five yards per carry. They also went seven of 12 on third down a week after going four of 14 on third down in Buffalo and they got the long ball going a little bit with the curse touchdown.
3: I thought there were a lot of positive things Eric I I really do I I think that uh, like you said when you look at statistically you see what they're averaging uh, rushing wise. it it, it looked to be a point of emphasis to rush the ball at those pass rushers and run at them downhill uh, which they did get accomplished. Unfortunately for the Jets, the, the offense got behind the eight ball and got down. And then that's when you started to see the pass rush pick up because there had to be more passing. But when the game was in hand and when it was still a ball game, you could see that the mix of run and pass was really good. Uh, the success of the run and pass was really good. You can start to see McCown getting comfortable with Jermaine Curse. He feels, he, I think he likes that body type and that big presence. We saw Robbie Anderson uh, have a couple of plays down the field. Curly get involved, tight ends get involved, the backs being involved. Um, so really and truly, uh, although the score uh, was lopsided, there were some positive things offensively to really take a look at and build upon. And I think the formula is there. The formula is that the defense has to has to keep it between 17 and 24 points, and the offense has got to score between 21 and 24 points. And if they do that, they can come out on the winning side of this. It, it's not going to be – had scored people by 35 you know scoring 35 points a game that's just not the way that the team is built but there still can be some success had and, and you saw glimpses of that uh, throughout the game
1: looking forward to the miami dolphins now they have a very talented front with adamic and sue and cameron wake who never seems to get old so in order for the jets to continue this rushing success what do they need to do on sunday
3: Yeah, I remember Cameron Rake when he was a rookie coming from the CFL. uh, Unbelievable. He, uh, you know, has done such an outstanding job. Um, Well, I think, uh, you know, it's a little bit different uh, when you've got someone like Sue in the middle uh, compared to playing Oakland where they've got pass rushers and you're going to try to hammer them a little bit to to see if they're willing to really stand up against the run. We know that Sue can stand up against the run. So, um, you know, But on the perimeter, taking those perimeter runs, I think mixing in those quick screens, I think it it has to be a steady dose. You've got to look at your short passing game as well as your running game. You've got to combine those two. And that be your, quote, rushing attack. Um, You you want to keep uh, Sue guessing. You want to keep him on the move. You don't want him just to be able to just uh, sit in there in the trenches and just control the line of scrimmage. You've got to keep him where he's got his head on a swivel because he doesn't know where the ball is gonna be. Uh when you do that now he's playing reactionary mode instead of dictating the tempo, which I think lends itself <laughs> to the offensive success. So uh certainly has to be uh creativity in the running slash screen slash short passing game, uh, to control someone like Sue.
2: All right, two minute offense right now. Before we flip to the defense, Chad Pennington here on the official Jets podcast. Uh, what have you seen from the quarterbacks? I know Jay Cutler just had a game with Miami, but there's familiarity there, obviously, with Adam Gase. and he has weapons all over the place with Jaye in the backfield, um, Jarvis Landry, who he targets every other play, it seems like, and they got some big play guys on the outside, Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills. And then, uh, conversely, I've been really impressed with Josh McCown. I know people are going to say you're seeing things through green-colored glasses right now, but McCown coming in here with so many moving parts, I think you mentioned the way the Jets got the ball to a lot of people last week. I think seven receivers uh, had catches in the first half against the Raiders, spreading the ball out, and I think he's been on time. Most of the time as far as delivery is concerned, I really like what I've seen out of McCown through two weeks.
3: Yeah, I don't think you're looking through green-colored glasses at all. I really don't. I think that's, that's the reality. The facts are right in front of you when you watch Josh play. He's played very consistent. He's been stabilizing, and he hasn't had any major disasters. And so uh, I think you, you're getting exactly what you ask of Josh right now. And uh, what has to happen is that the team now has to play better team complementary football, uh, special teams, Defensively and offensively, and if they play complementary football, then I think you'll even see Josh play even better. Uh, but it's it's difficult, uh, you know. In the first game, you get close to fourteen to twelve, and then all of a sudden, the next time you get on the field, you're back down by nine. Um, it's fourteen to ten, then all of a sudden, you're getting ready to go on the field, you're down by eleven, and you're down by eighteen. I mean, that's that's difficult circumstances that, uh, from the quarterback position, you did not control, you had no control over those things. And so uh, I think he's played within himself. He's tried not to do too much and done a good job of making sure he gets his, uh, the ball to his playmakers.
1: Something that Todd Bowles mentioned is that Bryce Petty last week was the number two quarterback, Christian Hackenberg inactive. So Chad, just wanted to get your opinion on that because coach said that Petty would be the number two for the foreseeable future.
3: I don't think it means much. It is what it is. I mean, you know, it's, they, they have enough on film to feel good about where they are right now. I think Bryce proved himself in the, in the preseason, had, had a, a decent preseason, gave Christian a lot of reps. Um, I think that they still look at Christian as a possibility, but there's still a lot of work to be done there. And uh, so who's two and who's three right now, I don't think you can read into that very much at all.
2: But the reps uh, won't be there for either one of them. But when you really think about it at practice, that's one thing that Petty told me, in the locker room this week, Chad, was that you really don't get a lot of reps at practice. Conversely, Hack has to take those scout team reps and say, I'm going to make the most of them.
3: Right. You know, that's the only difference is that the, the third normally takes most of the scout team reps while the two is trying to mentally prepare because he's one play away. Uh, that, that's that's the big difference. and so uh, And so sometimes being the two is a little bit, more difficult, it's definitely more stressful because you know you're one play away and you're not getting any reps in practice. But you know the notion of thinking that the two gets a little bit more reps because he's a two versus a three, once the regular season comes around, that's not true. It's all about the one and making sure he's prepared to play.
2: Great point. And while you are our number one quarterbacker in the Jets' official podcast, Jeff Pennington, thank you so much again, and we'll catch up next week. You got it, fellas.
1: All right, great stuff from our quarterback, QB1, Chad Pennington, as always. But EA, before we touch on some final things here, before we let everyone go and get ready for game day on Sunday, just a couple days, is what's your favorite Jets-Dolphins memory? Because clearly these two teams face twice a year, every year. You know it's on the schedule. There ain't no question about it. So what's your favorite Jets-Dolphins memory? Man, I know I put you on the spot there.
2: There, there, are so many. Did I have to be there? I mean, the the one that always is always going to stand out is the Monday Night Miracle, right? I was working with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time in the public relations department, and it was a Monday, obviously a Monday night, and I had finished work and went out to dinner with a couple of staffers, came home, and it, the game was thirty to seven in the third quarter. I vividly remember it, or uh, towards the end of the third quarter. And I shut it off. I shut it off. I got up the next morning and start shaving, turn on the radio, and they say the Jets had came back and won. And I said, "You gotta be crazy, man!" (laughs) I was slapping myself with water. I'm like, "There's no way they won that game." You sounded
1: like John Gruden for a second. (laughs) You gotta be
2: crazy, man. So, um, but there was there was also a time we went there and uh, uh, the Jets went there and and, uh, cemented their place in the postseason there's there's so many things stand out I remember a night game when they came here and the Jets just ran it down their throat for over uh, 200 yards I think Curtis Martin went over 100 Lamont Jordan went over 100 Lavernius Coles used to be a dolphin killer uh you know over the years it has been a great rivalry um you know, and I expect nothing less uh, come Sunday. You, as a guy who's been here, only here a couple years, but a Jet fan all his life, do you have a favorite Jet well, it,
1: memory? Well, it's, it's funny you mention it, because I, I do, I don't have a favorite memory, but I have a vivid memory. Okay. Um, it was, it was Christmas break in probably middle school, and I went down to Florida with my buddy, whose grandparents lived down there, and we went to visit his family, and we grew up together, so it was it was nice to hang out. And we went to a Jets Dolphins game, yeah. and it was pouring. It was pouring down there, and it was an all it was a low scoring game. And I just vividly remember Chad Pennington, you know, dumping off a little screen pass to Leon Washington in the flat, and he took it down. The Jets kicked, kicked the field goal, and that was the decisive points. So I, that's what I remember. That's what sticks out to me. But you know, Jets Dolphins matchups in general have a different kind of juice, all, as do all rivalries. So I think this week is—it'll be a lot of fun this week, especially when you combine that energy with the fact that it's the Jets home opener. So I'm really excited for this week. But one last thing here on the official Jets podcast game preview is matchup-wise, or just in the game in general, what is the, you know what's something that you're particularly looking forward to? It's
2: got to be uh, the Jets defense against Jai. If the Jets can bottle up the run, and I'm not saying hold him to under 50 yards. No, I'm not saying that because maybe he gets 25 attempts.
1: But fun fact, real quick, in the last game the Jets and Dolphins played at MetLife Stadium last last year, Ajayi had nine carries for 51 yards, so he wasn't turned to a lot. No,
2: yeah, I I think that I think you're gonna know. You tell me right now, the Jets hold Ajayi under 70. I say the Jets win this game. That, to me, that's what it comes down to. Uh, yeah, the secondary has been exploited on a couple occasions, but again, the point I come back to is that the ball hasn't been going over their heads this year. I like what I've seen from the young safeties. Uh, Coney Ely said earlier this week, we got to get them in third and longs. Well, the only way you get people in third and longs is if you're doing a good job on early downs against the run. Uh, I really like what I've seen from the offense. Again, Chad Pennington said, I'm not seeing it through my uh, green he did, t- t- tinted glasses. Which you don't
1: own, by the way.
2: No, I don't. He, and Josh McCown has been good. He gets another weapon back this week. We'll have to see how the Jets' injuries all play out uh, because earlier this week in practice, no Muhammad Wilkerson, no uh, Brian Winters, but Dakota Dozier did a nice job, and the Jets emphasized the run last week, and they got it done. So um, to me, that's the matchup. For you, what is it?
1: Well, you kind of touched on it right there. I'm real excited to see ASJ, Austin Mm -hmm. Safarian Jenkins, because throughout the whole offseason, he's been the story. John Morton comes in. His scheme is... Tight end friendly. Yep. ASJ down 30-plus pounds. Reinvented himself both on and off the field. You see him working every day after practice, and now this is the time when he can, when it means something. Because in training camp, obviously it's just practice. Uh, there are wins and losses for yourself individually in improving your fundamentals and catching this and improving X, Y, and Z. But now this is everything that he's done now translates to this. And so I'm really excited to see how he plays on Sunday, and in addition, I'm excited to see how that opens things up for the offense, and maybe that opens things up for the running backs, whether it's Matt Forte, Bilal Powell, or Eli Maguire, out of the backfield as a receiver. I'm real intrigued by the presence of Austin Safarian Jenkins because he was a second-round pick a couple seasons ago, and I don't know if he's quite reached the level where pundits expected him to be, but now I feel like he could even surpass that level so I'm really excited for Sunday, and just simply put, it's the home opener. I'm excited to be there. You know, the crowd should be lively. Jets Dolphins. So that's all we have right now on the official Jets podcast. Thanks Again, to, thanks to John Kajemi and can our Je, can Jemmy and our quarterback. Always got to give him props. CP on the money, accurate as ever. One of the most accurate ac- as ever. One Love of the most that.
2: accurate passers. In the history of this game, unfortunately, Drew Brees came along. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and he's atop that pedestal. But, hey, number two is not bad on that list.
1: (laughs) That's Eric Allen. I'm Ethan Greenberg. Make sure to subscribe on your phone. Make sure to go to NewYorkJets.com. You can check us out on SoundCloud. But there you have it, the game preview of the official Jets podcast.